everybody how's everybody doing on a thursday it's getting chilly out here in the northeast that can only mean one thing the hot stove is heating up but before we get to that i just want to uh, pass along some upsetting news uh one of our facebook group members in new york mets baseball way alive glenn sure uh lost his battle yesterday and uh he passed on last night uh, Glenn has been a friend of mine even before I even started all these Facebook groups on Facebook. Uh, great, great sports guy. Great, just overall guy. New TV, uh, old classic TV. Big, big New York Ranger fan. Big, big New York Med fan. Told it to you straight. And uh, he is going to be missed. He was one of my favorites on Facebook. Not that I point out favorites of mine, but... Now that he's not here, I really, really will miss his uh, presence on Facebook, not only as a friend, but in our groups, and uh, New York Mets way of life. So I know he'll be rooting for the Mets in a better place right now, and uh, if you can, say a prayer for Glenn. He was a good guy. Uh, but as always, the Mets are always in the news, and I guess we're getting some details on what happened with the Francisco Lindor-Jeff McNeil altercation. You remember the old rat-raccoon altercation. Uh, that happened way back when in May 7th. Yeah, that was when uh, we weren't even filling the ballparks yet. They only had like a handful of people every day with COVID restrictions and everything. So it's been a while. Now, details weren't divulged by the players involved the organization at the time. But it looks like the New York Post got an exclusive and learned the specifics of what transpired in the rat-raccoon altercation from that night. Now, Francisco Lindor was frustrated by the second baseman's latest positioning gaffe in their ensuing argument, according to a club source. And he grabbed McNeil by the throat and pinned him against the wall in the tunnel. Before the situation could escalate, Met players hearing the commotion arrived to break it up. After the Mets beat Arizona 5-4 in a walk-off, Neither Endor nor McNeil would acknowledge the altercation other than to say that an animal had spotted in the tunnel and the two players were arguing over whether it was a rat or a raccoon, prompting Met players to the scene. And that's when this thing started really spinning out of control. And the Met officials did not confirm that story. They realized the absurdity of the story from the public's view. And this wasn't looking good for the Mets. Now, Lindor had been visibly flustered on the field after McNeil lined up to the left of second base in, in the shift. 
and he ranged too far toward the hole in pursuing Nick Ahmad's grounder. Lindor fielded the ball, and McNeil ducked, allowing the shortstop a throw to first base. But Lindor's brief hesitation on throw may have cost him any chance of throwing at Ahmad, who was safe. McNeil had two previous defensive positioning miscues involving Lindor two weeks earlier at Wrigley Field. At some point, either before or after the series at Wrigley, manager Louis Rojas had threatened to bench McNeil if he didn't go on, get on board with the team shifting. Rojas, according to sources, made good on that threat, but it's unclear if the benching occurred on April 22nd in Chicago or April 25th at home against the Nationals. McNeil was absent from the starting lineup for both games. Now, Endor's anger with the situation apparently stemmed as much from McNeil's dismissive attitude toward the positioning issues as the actual mistakes. Wendor would always try to get him to move and Jeff be like, shut up, I got it, the source said. It was building and building. After the ball opened the tunnel in which the source said Wendor grabbed McNeil by the throat and pinned him against the wall, the two players appeared to reconcile. But the Lindor-McNeil double play combination soon dissolved, more because of circumstances than a personality conflict. Now, McNeil was placed on the edge of the list just over a week later with a strained left hamstring muscle and missed the next month. After he returned, the tandem started 18 games together before Lindor was sidelined with a strained oblique. When Lindor returned from the IL in August, his new double play partner was Javier Baez, acquired from the Cubs at the trade deadline. McNeil played, McNeil played primarily left field when Dorn Baez entrenched in the middle infield. So this is really starting to get interesting now. Do the Mets go ahead and sign Jeff McNeil? Uh, is Javi Baez going to walk? Will McNeil be signed and be the second baseman? It's going to be interesting. McNeil has quite a bat, and I'm sure his injury had something to do with him struggling all year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's going to get interesting. Uh, I don't know what's going to go, but we're going to say we're going to have some soap opera news going forward. Uh, one thing we won't be talking about is Bob Melvin becoming Met manager. Now, unfortunately, he was a great, great candidate, but it didn't seem to be as slight at the Mets at all. It seemed Bob Melvin, just like Billy Bean, I think Bob Melvin has family in Arizona, and he just wanted to remain close to his family in Arizona. Uh, so that's why Bob Melvin actually uh, took the job on the West Coast as opposed to coming to the Mets. So the managerial search will continue, as will the GM search. Now it seems like another candidate has appeared on the radar as the front office search continues. And you guess who it is? Well, it's Billy Epler. Uh, Epler ran the Angels as their general manager from October 2015 until 2015 until the conclusion of the 2020 season, and then the team let him go. The Angels posted five straight losing records under Epler's leadership, although he brought in free agent Shohei Otani, who will probably be the overwhelming favorite to win this year's AL MVP award. And he re-signed three-time AL MVP Mike Trout to a massive extension. Just last month, the agency WME Sports announced that Epler had joined it as a co-leader of a new baseball representation business. Is Epler the man? I don't know. I mean, it's one thing to sign Trout and sign Otani, but that team has never had a pitching staff since day one for the last five years. So I'm not sure if 
I completely endorse that. I'm not sure how you guys feel. But prior to joining the Angels, Epler worked for the Yankees from 2004 to 2015, helping to put together the team that won the Jewel franchise's most recent championships in 2009. After taking over the club's Major League Scouting in 2006, he earned a promotion assistant GM during the 2011-2012 season. He is a San Diego native, and he did play baseball at Connecticut. So he's an East Coast guy when he went to college, so we'll see what happens there. Now, the Mets list of candidates also includes Red Sox assistant GM Raquel Ferreria, and I'm a fan of hers. I'd rather have her over Epler, with whom the Mets still hold an introductory conversation of sorts, determine where there's mutual interest to move forward. And Orioles assistant GM Sig McDowell. As of late Tuesday, Baltimore had yet to grant permission to the Mets to speak with McDowell. So the general manager search continues. And uh, we'll, I guess we're going to have a story all the time here. Uh, who knows what's going to transpire. There, there were rumors that the Mets were actually even after uh, Yankee assistant GM Gene Afterman. And she politely declined the request. Uh, and she is a highly respected figure in the industry. And the team had the impression that Afterman was not interested in leaving the Yankees. And according to leaked sources, she politely declined their request. It was surprising, unsurprising, but worth the call. Now, the revelation of interest in Afterman marks the second time on Wednesday we learned of a potential Met candidate with Yankee ties. And that's where Billy Epworth just came in. So Mets are trying to have some of that Bronx magic run off, I guess, and see what happens there. But the madness is going to continue. Now it's time, as we always do, to wish happy birthday to Mets of the past and present. Today we're honoring Mets of the past. Uh, Dick Selma is celebrating a birthday today. Who remembers Dick Selma? Uh, I think he played in the same town that Tom Seaver did. They were almost counterparts out there. He did pitch for the Mets for four years, from 65 to 68. Pitched 105 games, 359 innings pitched. ERA 3.16, 17 and 21 career-wise. He was a well-respected arm, and his career did go as far as 1974 when he ended it with the Milwaukee Brewers. So Dick Selma, happy birthday to you. Dick turned 78 today. Congrats. Also today, Ryan Thompson. Ryan Thompson's one of those players that just looked like a player when you saw him up at the plate. He had the physique to build. He was 6'3", 200. Looked like a thoroughbred out there. He wore number 44 and number 20 with the Mets. And he was part of that big Jeff Ken trade. When Jeff Ken came to the Mets, so did uh, Ryan Thompson. And the Mets gave up David Cohn. That was a big trade at the time. Ryan ended up playing 283 games with us. Uh, 997 at-bats. Batted 239. Uh, did smack 39 homers. He had some power. He had some pop. And uh, he was fun to watch. I just don't think he ever really lived up to his potential. And another guy who never lived up to his potential with the Mets was Carlos Bayarga. And uh, he was traded with Alvaro Espinosa to the Mets in exchange for, who we just talked about, Jeff Kent and Jose Vizcaino on July 29, 1996. Jose played two, you know, finished up the season with us in 96. Uh, played two full seasons, 97 and 98. Uh, not bad, 281 average one year, 266. Uh Every, every day, dependable player. Uh, didn't make that much of an impact with the Mets. I think he had better days with Cleveland. But happy birthday to 
Carlos Baerga. And now we celebrate another birthday, Carlos Mendoza. He was with us in 1997. And he pitched, he played in 15 games with 12 at-bats and batted 250. He was signed with the Mets as a free agent in 1992. Uh, drafted from the Mets by the Rays and then re-signed by the Mets in 99. So he started out in the Mets organization and ended up back. And uh, finally broke into pro ball with the Mets. And then uh, he went to Colorado and had a short-lived career. But it's his birthday nonetheless. And who else had a birthday? Well, that's it for birthdays. But we had a lot of transactions, as we always do this time of year in Met history. And on this date in 1963, the Mets traded basically their first ace stud pitcher, Roger Craig, to the St. Louis Cardinals for George Altman and Bill Wakefield. This date in 1974, uh, the Mets released rubber arm reliever Jack Aker. Uh, on this date in 1991, uh, the Mets re granted free agency to Gary, if I ain't starting, I ain't depart in Templeton. And on this date in 1994, the Mets claimed Blast Minor on waivers from the Pirates. And on this date in 1996, the Padres signed Chris Jones to the Mets as a free agent. And Kansas City claimed Joaquin Arias of the Mets on waivers on this date on November 4th, 2010. And Jeremy Hefner was granted free agent on C on this date in 2014. And it's good to have him back as our pitching coach. And on this date last year, the Mets signed free agent Jose Peraza of the Red Sox to a contract. So that's it was a busy day, November 4th in Met history. And uh hope you wrote all this, wrote all this down. We'll be quizzing you later on on all this. Now, as we always do, we profile a story, either on a player or a date in Met history. Since we did Game 6 yesterday, as we were away for a while and we didn't talk much baseball, uh, let's go to Game 7 of the 1986 World Series. And let's just call this segment, We Are the World Champions. It was a Monday night, and after the unbelievable Game 6 comeback, the Mets and their fans couldn't wait to play Game 7. Now, it was understood in New York that there just was no way the Mets could lose. Confidence was an all-time high. Everyone was feeling good after the Game 6, that's for sure. But it rained and rained on Sunday until the game was postponed until Monday. Uh, but, uh, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. I was at that game. I was selling hot dogs in the upper deck, and I just, so many memories of how quiet it was when the Mets fell behind. Everyone thinks the Mets won that game easily, uh, but it wasn't that easy. But let's go through the lineups for that day. Batting leanoff for the Red Sox, third baseman Wade Boggs. Batting second, Marty Barrett playing second. Batting third, Bill Buckner at first base. Jim Rice in left field batting fourth. Dwight Evans batting fifth in right field. Rich Gedman catching batting sixth. Dave Henderson playing center field batting seventh. Spike Owen shortstop batting eighth. And Bruce Hurst pitching and batting ninth. And on this historic day, the Met lineup looked like this. Mookie Wilson leading off playing center field. Tim Tuffle playing second base batting second. The captain, Keith Hernandez, first base batting third. Gary Carter, the kid, fourth catching. Uh, Dow Strawberry batting fifth in right field. Ray Knight batting sixth at third base. Kevin Mitchell, left field, batting seventh. 
Rafael Santana batting eighth, playing short, and Ron Darling pitching. Now, Met manager David Johnson sent Ron Darling to the mound for his third start. The first two games, he did not allow an earned run in 14 innings of work. He was taking a 1-1 loss on an unearned run on Tim Tuffles. He was taking a one. He was one and one taking a loss on an unearned run on Tim Tuffles error in game one. The Red Sox sent Bruce Hurst to the mound, who had yet kept the Mets bats quiet, giving up just two runs in 17 innings. Though he did give up 14 hits, but he was always a scrappy batter. He was tough, tough left-hander. Now, on the top of the second, Darling got into trouble, giving up back-to-back leadoff homers to Dwight Evans and Rich Gedman. A walk to Dave Henderson, a sacrifice fly, and a single to Wade Boggs made it 3 nothing. Darling would get relieved in the fourth inning. Overall, in 17 innings pitched in the World Series, he only gave up three earned runs. Fortunately, it was on this day, which was good for a 1.53 ERA in the World Series. Now, the turning point of the game came in the fourth inning when Sid Fernandez relieved Darling. El Cid, who had not gotten a start in the World Series, shut down the Sox through the sixth inning, retiring all the batters he faced, striking out five of the last six. He is just what the doctor ordered. And I'm not talking about Doc Gooding. I'm talking about the doctor who made sure we won this World Series. Uh, Boston's Bruce Hurst was tough on the Mets. In the first five innings, he allowed only one hit, a single to Ray Knight in the second. In the home six, the Mets began their comeback. After Sid Fernandez had walked to, off to a standing ovation in the top of the inning, he was pinch hit for by Lee Mazzilli. Mazzilli singled to left field. Mookie Wilson then singled to left as well, and Tim Tuffle walked. With the bases loaded, Mr. Clutch Keith Hernandez came to bat against Hurst. As the Shea crowd began to get excited and making some noise, Hernandez singled up the middle, scoring Mazzilli and Wilson with two runs, making it a 3-2 game. Wally Backman came in to pinch run for Tuffle. Gary Carter then hit a short fly to right field. Dwight Evans dove for the ball, but could not come up with it. Backman crossed the plate with the tying run. Keith Hernandez had to wait until a delayed call was made by the umpire to see if Evans got caught it or not. He was thrown out at second base and was livid on the field yelling at the umpire. In any event, Shea was wild and there was no looking back. It was a different place and the crowd was now a huge factor. Roger McDowell came on and retired the side in order in the seventh. He struck out Tony Armas and got Boggs and Marty Barrett to ground out. After a wild seventh inning stretch, a seventh inning stretch, Ray Knight led off the inning with a home run, probably his biggest hit in his Met career. This sealed Knight as the World Series MVP. Lenny Dykstra then pitched it for Kevin Mitchell and singled to right field. For the first time that I could recall, the crowd began to sing the words to Queens, We Will Rock You, as the PA system played the drum beat to the song, which is similar to the Let's Go Med chant. It certainly rattled Cavlin sorority. The Queen's song turned into taunt the Queen's song turned into taunts of Calvin, Calvin, answering back the taunts to Dallas Strawberry at Fenway in game three. Sorority then threw a wild pitch and Dykstra advanced to second base. Then the light-hitting shortstop Rafael Santana chimed in as well. He singled to right and now scored from second base to make it 5-3. Keith Hernandez added his third RBI the night on a sacrifice fly to center field. It was 6-3 and only a matter of time to celebrate the long-awaited championship. In the eighth, the Sox got three straight hits to start the inning. Bill Buckner and Jim Rice. 
Both single, Dwight Evans then doubled, making a 6-5 game, and things were getting tight, and the crowd was getting a little antsy. David Johnson pulled McDowell and gave the ball to Jesse Orozco. Orozco got Gedman to line out the back minute second, then struck out Dave Henderson and got pinch hitter Don Bale with a ground out to short. Three outs away. Clutch, clutch pitching by Jesse Orozco. In the bottom of the eighth with Al Nipper now pitching for the Red Sox, Darryl Strawberry added to the heroics, leading off with a monstrous home run right field. The Shea crowd roared and went into another frenzy. Ray Knight, who would win the series MVP award, got his ninth hit of the series, a single. And he batted 391 in the World Series. He came through, Ray Knight did, and he moved up on an intentional walk to Santana in order to get to the pitcher's spot. In a rare plate appearance, Orozco came up and singled in his only postseason at bat. Holy cow! And he scored Knight with the final run of the series, making it 8-5 New York. Boston Steve Crawford came into pitch and hit Mookie Wilson with a pitch. There was no brawl, and the next two Mets were retired, and on to the ninth, and Shea was rocking. Jesse Orozco got Ed Romero to start out the ninth with a foul pop-out. The crowd was on its feet throwing confetti, rolls of toilet papers, and anything else in celebration. Wade Boggs was out number two as he grounded out the backman. Orozco retired the side in order as Marty Barrett struck out for the final out. Orozco, as we all know, it's become legendary, this photo, threw his glove in the air and fell to his knees. His teammates came out running and piled on top of him on the mound. The dream had come true again. The Mets were world champions. This time around, there were no fans able to run on the field, including myself. I was on there when the Mets won the division in 86, and I still have some turf from that day. Not proud of it, but I was young and innocent back then. And the New York PD had mounted police officers surrounding the playing field. <sighs> and it was just crazy. It's one of those moments you just never, ever forget. In the series, Ray Knight was the series MVP, going 9 for 23, 391, as I mentioned before, with a homer, two walks, and five RBIs. Gary Carter had led the team with nine RBIs and hit two homers. He was 8 for 29, 276. And could have been a good candidate for series MVP. Uh, Lenny Dykstra also had two homers and was 8 for 27, 296, with three homers, two walks, and four runs scored. Keith Hernandez was 6 for 26, 231, with five walks, good enough for a 344 on base percentage and four RBIs. Dow Strawberry hit the only other Mets homer, and Straw only drove in one run, going 5 for 24, 208. Danny Heap and Rafael Santana both had a pair of RBIs as Wally Bagman, Jesse and Roscoe, and Tim Tuffle all added an RBI each. And that's how we did it, folks. That's how we became world's champions in 1986. Good days indeed. Now it's time for our trivia and Jeopardy question of the day. Today's trivia question uh, who was the Mets starting second baseman on opening day 2006? And today's Jeopardy clues are traded by the Houston Astros to the New York Mets in exchange for Steve LaRose and Nicky Davis on September 10th, 1990. And he wore number 43 as a Met. We'll be back at the end of the broadcast with the answers, so write them down, lock them in, and we'll tell you how you did. 
Now, what's going on in the group, New York Mets Baseball All Your Life? If you're not a member of this group, please do join. We're on Facebook. It's New York Mets Baseball All Your Life. And we cover everything. There's some great group members who are hardcore Mets fans. No nonsense in the group. We're there to talk Mets, so please do join. If you're not subscribing to this podcast yet, please do. We put one up hopefully every day. Some days we miss, but we try to put one up every day. And you'll find all our archives there, too. And you can just binge listen to them. Sort of like you do with Netflix, but you just binge the podcast. And it's entertaining. Hey, I even listen to myself sometimes. No one else will. Just kidding. Well, anyway, on this date in 2013, the Mets and Clear Channel Media announced the launch of a five-year multi-marketing partnership with WOR. I was a little bummed out when they went to WOR. Uh, FAN had that large signal, and it was basically an all-sports station. But they chose to go with the Yankees after carrying the Amazons for the past 26 years. And I did like it when the Mets did go to WOR. I loved uh, Pete McCarthy with the pregame. And uh, he used to have that talk show too. Uh, Basically, he was Mets-centric. And it was just good days back then. Also on this date in 1963, the Cardinals traded George Altman, as I mentioned before, for Roger Craig. Uh, and it was good news for Roger Craig, who had lost 20 games the two years prior to the trade, and he won Game 4 at a full classic, beating the Yankees for the world champion uh, Cardinals. So that was good to see. And on this date in 2004, the Mets introduced Willie Randolph as the franchise's 18th manager. The longtime Yankees second baseman and third base coach becomes the first black to manage in New York. So that was an historic hiring. I also mentioned that the Mets, who only shifted 14.1% in 2019, shifted to 50.2% in 2021. That's the second highest shifting team in the sport. And they did very well with it. And like Steve Cohen said, he was going to invest in the analytics. And the shifting paid off for the ball club. And that's always good to see. Uh, And as always, we always have great, great conversation every day. Uh, and like I said, people are reaching out and mourning the loss of Glenn Scherr. And I do want to dedicate this broadcast to Glenn. Uh, not much else to say about that. Uh, we're going to miss him. Then I mentioned when I say Armando Benitez, what's the first thing that comes to your head? Uh, Dave Phillips said Pat Burrell and Tino Martinez. And uh, I get that. I get that. And then I listed all the Mets who are now going to be free agents. The Mets are one of the top teams with free agents available uh, this year. But here's the list. Read it and weep. Javi Baez, Dylan Batances, Michael Conforto, Jaris Familia, Brett Hand, Heath Hembreed, Rich Hill, Aaron Roop, Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, and Jonathan Villar. It's going to be curious to see who actually stays with the Mets and who won't. Uh... Now let's go back to our trivia, as we end every broadcast with. Uh, Once again, the trivia question was, who was the Mets' starting baseman on opening day 2006? And the correct answer is Anderson Hernandez. Congrats to our resident expert on trivia and Jeopardy, Jason Lynch, on being the first to submit the correct answer. And then our two clues for Jeopardy were traded by the Houston Astros to New York Mets in exchange for Steve LaRose and Nicky Davis on September 10, 1990. And he wore number 43 as a Met. Well, the correct response is, who is Dan Schatzter? And congrats to our resident West Coast expert, David J. Rubin, on being the first to submit the correct response. Yeah, I think our two resident experts when it comes to this are David J. Rubin, uh, 
Jason Lynch and Harvey Porras. We'll make it the, the trifecta there with those three. Those guys are tough to beat at this. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, we're back. So check us out tomorrow again. Thanks for listening. And please do subscribe to the podcast. Have a great day. Hey, the Jets are playing today. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Enjoy that if you're watching it. We'll talk again tomorrow.